We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. How many times have you been talking to somebody before and they just don't seem to get what you're saying? Or on the other hand, how many times has somebody been talking to you and you have no clue what they mean? Now, it's not because either one of you or either time you're not communicating properly or or intently, but you're just not there culturally. What you're saying or hearing isn't culturally relevant to you. Sometimes we say that as, you know, we precede that with, I'm going to date myself here, and we make some reference that other people wouldn't understand because of their age. Well, this also happens due to socioeconomic status, due to race, due to religion, and all kinds of different things. This is Dr. Jones with a new episode, and today I'm talking with Victor Coach Hicks. And the reason I bring up this whole cultural relevance piece is because that's what he specializes in. And he does it through intently listening and amplifying student voices through project-based instruction. We had a great conversation about how important it is to make sure that we're focusing on the important aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that really means and how to effectively do it in a culturally relevant way so students and faculty, adults, community, we can all benefit from it. This is a really great conversation. And in fact, we had two sections of it where, one, we talk about change, and we start to talk about whether people are battle-weary or just comfortable and not wanting to get out of that comfort zone and become a little uncomfortable. But most importantly, the second thing we really hit on was when talking about diversity, we're stressing the importance of being diverse and creating diverse thinkers. Meanwhile, we're keeping the educational system that values compliance the same way. So how do we really stress, teach, understand, enact diversity in an authentic way in a system that values compliance for success? Boy, this is a great conversation that I am sure you're going to get a lot out of. So let's get to hearing from Victor Coach Hicks. I think that making sure that if you really want to properly, you know, help, serve, assist, teach, educate, you know, any population, any, any group of people, you have to make sure that you're listening to the, the voices of those people. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Victor Coach Hicks is the founder of the Coding with Culture brand. He has six years experience teaching computer science and technology and over 20 years experience teaching and coaching in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois, and his current residence, Atlanta, Georgia. Victor's passionate about closing the digital divide among students of color, more specifically black students. He enjoys using his talents to provide culturally relevant computer science experiences for students in grades K to 12, along with professional development and consultation services for K to 12 educators. Victor's a proud product of two HBCUs, Fisk University and Clark Atlanta University. His experiences at these illustrious institutions 
inspired him to make it a priority to include the cultural relevance of historically black colleges and universities in his pedagogy across grade levels and content areas. I'm excited to talk to Victor today because I think he's going to give us some some perspectives and some really good strategies on how we can approach this idea of cultural relevance or improve this idea of cultural relevance. So, coach, welcome. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. This is uh this is it's my pleasure. So, why don't, you know, I read your bio, but why don't we um we round that out a little bit and talk to me a little about your coding with culture brand and the whole idea of cultural relevance. Okay, so coding with culture actually I, and I tell people, you know, it really I wish I could say that it came from you know, this genius idea that I had. Um, I was teaching during the pandemic. Again, I've been teaching computer science for about, uh, I think at that point, about four years, four to six. Yeah, well, yeah, almost seven now. So really worked with, well, what I found is that the computer science, the project-based learning really, really worked in that virtual space. So getting the the, um, the content across, because again, one of the things I'm really passionate about is making sure they get the actual computer science, computer programming skill. But through this, Project-based learning, it allowed kids so many different points of entry. Um, I had kids who traditionally struggled in other classroom environments that really were coming up with some some awesome, just, I mean, not even just coding projects, but just the thought processes and uh, the way they were working together. So met with a couple, had a couple parents ask about, you know, after school things, because of course, a lot of the COVID shut down a lot of the activities. So I said, well, okay, we'll try kind of like a computer science club and um, had some of my uh, my buddies I had gone to school with, uh, especially at Clark Atlanta, who were interested, you know, as I started posting things on my teacher page on social media. Um, and then that summer, I think that uh, June, one of my frat brothers and I got together and put on the very first Coding with Culture camp. So um, it kind of just took off from there, you know, but the cultural relevance piece, historically black colleges have always been something I've been very passionate about. So whether I was, you know, coaching or in the classroom, they always were kind of present in what I did, you know, teacher-wise. So um, as I kind of got more familiar with what computer science was about, um, some of the inequity that we were seeing in the, you know, and how this K-12 through instruction needed to play a role in that, I'm like, well, hey, here's a really good connection because not only can they, you know, build really cool things about historically Black colleges and learn about them in the process, but it's also kind of of giving them a pathway because if we're asking children to, you know, charter un- uncharted territory or, you know, blaze new trails, I think that them being in a place or being cultivated or grown in a place where supporting them, you know, X and again, from the president of the university down to the person that's, you know, working in the cafeteria, everyone is geared towards um, students of color succeeding at a historically black college by definition. So I thought, well, hey, there's a great extra added bonus and, you know, in, in, in kind of doing what I, what I'm passionate about doing, but how this even is even more relevant in this, computer science, technology space. So I think the cultural relevance and that comes in not only just in the curriculum. So, you know, again, the historical value and cultural value of HBCUs, but also um, having a culturally relevant classroom where students are supported and they're, they're given, they're being shown, you know, very clear paths to success. They're being given access to these places that may well, I mean, I won't say may because through my experience, you know, we'll grow them and we'll help them be successful. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of just took what I, you know, computer science and again, COVID, I think one of the things that the pandemic that was positive is it taught or challenged us as educators to be um, a little bit more creative. And so from that creativity, you know, kind of sprinkling the HBCU mix and yeah, I was coding with culture. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I am, um, you know, that's such an important thing when we talk about cultural relevance in classrooms. And it, you know, it helps with so much besides besides recognizing, you know, implicit bias and recognizing privilege or anything like that. It also helps with all the behaviors that you see and the different behaviors that you see because you're meeting the students where they need to be met. We talk a lot about that with academics, but then unfortunately we don't we, we kind of miss that or glaze over it when we're talking about culture and, and so forth. So just to get a little nitty gritty, what does that look like for a teacher to make sure they're supporting students with culturally relevant, obviously curriculum is one of them, but, but practices, strategies that we see every day in the classroom? Well, I think, you know, one of the things you really have to do, and I, I, if people always ask, you know, kind of what's the key to success, you know, how do you, um, you know, build those relationships? And I think 
at the center of that and at the center of providing that culturally relevant um, and responsive, you know, um, kind of classroom environment. I think, you know, listening to the voice of your students, you know, and I think that even as a, you know, an African-American teacher um, teaching African-American students, I still have to make sure that, you know, not to assume that even, you know, my personal experience in the African-American community speaks for everyone, you know? So um, I think that making sure that if you really want to properly, you know, um, help, serve, assist, teach, educate, you know, any population, any, any group of people, um, you have to make sure that you're listening to the the voices of those people, you know? And a, a lot of times, as I think as a teacher, we miss the mark because we miss a very, you know, number one simple step, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, I think a lot of times as educators, it's hard for us to, you know, release that power sometimes, but two things, two benefits from that. Number one, um, I think it gives a really big, um, vote of confidence for students. I think when you, some of those conversations, you really kind of say, Hey, like, what do you think? Or, you know, how do we, how do I do this a little bit better? How can we make this, you know, um, for you to even charter that territory, I think it, it goes a long way with students when you talk about building that um, relation, those relationships. Um, but also, you know, it's it's golden information, you know. So I think, you know, even in computer science, I love HBCUs. And I mean, of course, now they're going to get that. <laughs> That's a non-negotiable. But, you know, even um, some of the things that I've been able to do in, in expanding that, you know, listening to what I had students, you know, one summer that were really, really passionate about you know, music. And there's, you know, lo and behold, a really cool program where they learned, you know, JavaScript or Python through literally creating a song from start to finish. You know, I thought, you know, again, I would have never, in my world, I'm kind of had this tunnel vision on and, you know, but once I kind of just listened to that really simple suggestion, you know, it helped further along the cause, number one, but also it kept the students engaged. So I would just say, yeah, if you're looking to provide that, culturally relevant experience, have those conversations. Like you have to. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, that shows your interest. What I wonder sometimes as a leader is obviously we get teachers in buildings when I'm talking to other principals that are all over this, right? They go out of their way and, and you'll interview teachers and they'll say that they have, they practice culturally relevant strategies how do leaders engage teachers in this process? Maybe the teachers that are a little, let's say, less aggressive in employing these strategies, whether it's a, whether it's a power struggle, whether it's a control thing, how can leaders go about engaging teachers in that? You know, really just being diligent in, and again, kind of with the same process. You know, I know with adults, sometimes you have to listen a little bit more, you know, kind of in the, you know, and kind of catch the vibes because again, the teachers, you know, Oftentimes, as much as we ask students to be lifelong learners, you know, we tend to kind of, you know, as much as we say we, we don't, you know, the hair on the back of our necks stand up. It's like, hey, you know, reflect and go back and look at some of the things, you know, which, you know, it's a process. So I think for um, for leaders is really looking at and trying to get, you know, not to oversimplify, but listen to and kind of engage in what your staff is doing. You know, really go into, as you know, as you're going into the classrooms, I know you guys are, you know, have so many other things that you have to, you know, observe for, but I think connecting those teachers and again, meeting them where they are, you know what I'm saying? So getting, building that relationship with your staff, um, you know, through observation, through conversation, and really just not making it an anomaly. I think that's the right word I'm trying to use, but you know, so it's not a, I think a lot of times with the DEI work fails is that it's, it's kind of like the, the field trip syndrome. It's like, okay, this month we're going to focus on this and we're going to solve all the school's problems, you know, in two hours. And that's not going to happen. And it's, and it's not a one size fits all. So, you know, again, one of the things I loved about your question. So if you have a teacher like me in your building and then a teacher who may really feel that, you know, because the great thing, I, I love the fact that we are we are having these conversations, but it's also led to a lot of misinformation in those areas. So you have teachers that are like, I'm doing it. You're right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, <clears throat> every month I'm hanging up, the, you know, the culture we're celebrating. And I'm like, but you're totally you're not, but you're missing the mark. And I did that, you know, say I, I loved HBCUs. And so I went in with blinders, like everything has to be this, you know, and totally missing the mark on what the black students that were sitting in front of me needed for me to be impacted. You know what I'm saying? In some groups, it was fine because they loved it too. And other ones, you know, the message is a little bit different, but 
all that to say there's diversity in, in, in the, it's the spectrum. So I think as an administrator plugging in according to that spectrum, those resources, those trainings, those conversations that, you know, each individual teacher needs. Because like I said, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're talking about it more, but it's also created a lot of fluff work around it. And I think that one thing we have to be very careful about is that culturally relevant or responsive uh, pedagogy curriculum done right is the beautiful thing. But it can also be detrimental, not done correctly. You understand what I'm saying? Or done kind of because students are also very good judges of intent. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, once they feel like it's not genuine, it's almost bad. It's, I mean, it's almost worse than it not happening at all. You know, just kind of r- running a, you know, great classroom where everything is just, you know. But I think if you dip your toe into that water, and the kids feel like it's not genuine or just comes in in certain things, or that you're also, because I think it also appears a lot of times as like you're, you know, almost kind of talking down to students, like as if, you know, you have this acceptance or this, you know, cultural relevance is me, you know. So, yeah, I just think you have to really meet, I mean, it's easier said than done, but, you know, you got to kind of meet those, same way we we have to meet those students, meeting those educators, because we're all over the place on that spectrum. Yeah, you know, and something so powerful about what you just said, the idea of the DEI work, right? Because now everybody wants to do DEI work. And, and you know, we brought somebody in to do some DEI work with us. And the main message from this individual is Henry Turner. The main message from him was that, look, this is a year-long process. This isn't a day-long process, which we all know anyways with any kind of professional development. But it's not even a month-long process. This is a small step as you go, reflect, get feedback, reach out to those that you're trying to impact and and then adjust. And it takes years. And the piece that you said about how perceptive students are and figuring out when you're just trying to check boxes or force something on them is, is just spot on. That's everywhere from, you know, when you're teaching anything in second grade to when you're teaching anything in 12th grade, much less addressing their perception of things or or how they may want to look at different things or think about different things. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. And absolutely. I think that goes with anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I, I think the intent, but you know, even behind educating young people, period, you know, I think when students realize, you know, they can see your why. So if it, again, if it's just going to, which is why I think, there's such a fundamental disconnect with, you know, this this heavy focus on testing. Because again, I've had students that, you know, will say, well, we're only doing this for, you know, for the test versus, you know, those classrooms where you still may be getting across the same material, you know, but you're presenting it in such a way that they're interested, you know. And I think that was one of my my first lessons as a computer science teacher. Like we were going through the the tutorials and they could tell me about loops, but it was dry, you know, that, so I really wasn't building, you know, with both my black and, you know, Caucasians, I mean, all of my students, I should say, I don't know if I was really building a bridge to include or, you know, increase their interest in going into computer science fields, you know, but definitely we talk about, you know, again, now adding the cultural, the cultural piece and we talk about addressing a digital divide, Okay, so we already know there's a disconnect here because this pop, these populations are not looking at computer science at all, you know. So we have to, we can't come in with this kind of generic curriculum as a catch-all, you know. But again, once I started teaching and again, saying, okay, well, this is why we're learning about these HBCUs. And then, we're, yes, we're going to build this culture. So you see yourself in these projects and you see yourself, you know, and again, you're building them by HBCUs, but also learning that these are places after you leave here, that you can go and, and prepare for these careers. So, you know, but again, that intent and having to say that and, and making sure that my students understood through my, you know, lesson choices and my commitment to, you know, them really seeing those parts of their lessons and just, I mean, even in our classroom environment, you know, but you have to be intentional about it because the kids will be like, all right, he doesn't care. She doesn't care, you know, or it's only because we're doing this or it's only for this. So, right. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's take that intent one step further. A teacher wants to increase their ability to reach students in a culturally relevant way. Not quite sure how to do it, but they they believe in it enough. So they're intense there. They're wise there. 
they believe in it enough to to take that step out there and you know man they make mistake or or they trip up or things like that how long should teachers wait for a level of competence before they they try to address these things or do they just go in messy where they make mistakes and they're not worried about making mistakes will the students even buy more buy into it more you know, I think there's no magic number, you know, and I, I think what I tell people, you know, you, you have to be, you know, comfortable about a certain or, or to a certain level of comfort to even, you know, dive into the into the work, you know, what getting it in front of the kids. And like I said, again, it's, it's, it's totally a spectrum. So, you know, it, it looks different from everybody, you know, it looks different for everybody. Um, but I think that when you do it, you know, definitely to your point, I think there is, it's no, there's merit in being messy in that work because it's not, you know, when you're learning, when you're going, when, again, when it's actually kind of a real process and, you know, that's how things go, you know, so you don't want, I think that that kind of gives you a little bit more credibility with students um, because it, they see you doing the work. And I think being, being vulnerable and, and being willing to have those conversations with kids, just like, I mean, as a teacher, it took years for me to apologize to kids in the classroom. You know, you when you would be you're like, OK, well, yes, you know, you all did this, this and this and I have to. But it's like, OK, well, did you really have to go in that much? You know what I'm saying? Like you were stressed out because you had a staff meeting. You were trying to figure out. So, yeah. And and at first it was kind of like me, you know, the teacher. I absolutely you know I'm the teacher. This is but what I realized is that I got so much further with my kids when they saw the human side of Coach X. Right. So they once you kind of start saying, all right, this is something I don't necessarily get you know i want to make sure that we're building this safe space and i think for me you know if you feel a lot if you feel a little bit more comfortable with it you probably can go in a little bit you know when you can have those conversations but i think also giving students that voice and so you know going back to our previous conversations giving students the voice in the door and say okay i we are setting the foundation for this classroom for this lesson whatever it is we're working on what do you think and i think that makes our job a little bit easier because even like I said, as teachers doing the work, it's going to look different from, you know, in some schools, you know, first period to second period to third period. To, so even in doing the work, and that's what I say, I think you have to kind of get, listen to the voice that student voice has to be the core of it because then that kind of guides how you, you know, how you move. So I, I think um, it's, it, it can be messy, but yeah, I don't think there's like a perfect, like, okay, I'm there. Now let me go talk to my kids about it. I think you can go in from the beginning. Um, I just think, you know, being honest with yourself, being reflective. And again, most importantly, at that foundation, the student voice. Now, see, you said something you said, well, you said a lot there that was really good. Um, and I want to make sure that the leaders listening to this podcast or the administrators, or whatever title you want to give them, make sure they heard that too. Because I think what you said for teachers about being real, being vulnerable, admitting mistakes, goes so much for leaders as well in front of the teachers and working with the teachers. Oh, t- yes. Yep. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, like I said, especially when you just talk about, because for a lot of people, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable topic. So if leaders don't give, again, intent. So if teachers are, because you already have a lot of teachers that are ready to turn off. So any you know, like I said, if it doesn't seem genuine, if it seems like the district is making us talk about DEI or, you know, we want to check this off of our box, then those teachers that probably need it the most, and I'm not even saying some that would be drastic enough to have any negative beliefs, you know what I'm saying, or at least openly negative beliefs about, it's those teachers in the middle of the road that you have to worry about. They're like, I'm teaching my standards, I'm on my scope and sequence, da 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 you know, great, but you're totally missing the mark where these kids are. And again, not saying that we not, shouldn't have been doing this work in 1990, but with the way that our world is going, we definitely cannot not do that work now. So, but again, if, if as a leader, you're not providing, or it's just kind of like, okay, it's just this kind of general surface, you know, we're going to bring in, you know, somebody to come in and we're going to solve all the world's problems in an hour, then just like the kids aren't going to buy into it, neither are the teachers, or at least not the ones who probably need it the most. Because like I said, they're in the middle, they're like, I'm just not trying, but you, you can't not think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you know, what you said about should have been done in 1995. The thing is sure, but we can't focus on what we should have done or what should have been done. But instead we have to focus on what we can do and what we need to do. 
Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. You know, you talk about this, and we've gone back and forth a little bit about, you know, teachers, students, leaders, teachers. What's your idea of a perfect school? If you went in, what, like, what should school look like for students and teachers if we're doing all the culturally relevant things we we can do and that we should do. What's that look like when you walk into that school? What, what do I see? What do I hear? First of all, I, I think I would have to say I would do away with the the idea that we're. I mean, I, I think we say we're preparing for the information age, but we're having we're having a very hard time shaking. You know what I'm saying? The this, the uh, structure of the industrial revolution we have education, right? So what when we were preparing kids to go into factories and, and perform menial tasks for eight hours, you know, sign out, go home, you know, and I think that was the one thing that, you know, the pandemic did. It was like, okay, information age, here it is. Like, now we can't ignore it. Now it's here. Here's a hard stop. You know what I mean? But our schools are lacking in that. I mean, not, I shouldn't say lacking, but it's like we're still... We're saying it, you know, we're like, okay, the kids all have laptops, the kids have, you know, tablets. So we are information ready, but we're still doing work. You know, we're still doing this. So first of all, my dream school, we would not be doing, I mean, definitely assessment, definitely getting data so we can, you know, move instruction forward, but project-based learning, you know, we, we talk a lot about the four C's, but that's really what, like when these kids leave us after 12, you know, or from the K-12, you know, platform, we're not really providing them the the skills, both hard skills and soft skills to go into these places. I mean, Google and Microsoft, we're looking at these work environments. We're seeing how, where they're going is changing, but we're not getting them there. So, you know, when I think, we think about, I think one of the most cliche phrases in education is, okay, kids will work together, but are we teaching them collaborative skills? Are they in these you know, and that's how I started to shape my computer science curriculum because I did have control over that little piece, you know. But it is constantly this, you know, it's very little me standing in front of the classroom and saying, okay, this is how you do boom, 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 boom. Okay, you're going to design an app. And then how does creativity plug into that? And how do you, you know, work together? And how, do, you know, the iterative process. So I think for me, it will be a lot more of that. Um, I love project-based learning. I think that would be my goal. I would love to see all grade levels incorporating really giving teachers the time to sit down and do um, a lot of cross-curricular planning, cross-grade levels, you know, vertical planning. Because I think a lot of us, again, but again, that's a very industrial revolution way of education, this idea of kindergarten and first grade. I'm like, well, if there's a kid who, because if you look at the specials, right? And I mean, having been a specials teacher now, you know, forever, I see how there's, there's, because we're teaching skills. It's more, it's not really this like, you know, box curriculum, but think about how much more kids get from that experience. So if, you know, if we're doing something on industrial design and there's kids, you know, maybe two or three grade levels that are working on things. So I just think we have to, I would really want us to like, it would be a radical change as far as what schools are doing. And I think that's also why we're seeing a lot of the, you know, behavior issues with kids. We're seeing a lot more of these, you know, emotional issues because they don't know why, but they're not built like that. We know we keep talking with these kids, these kids, but technically that's who we're here to do this job for. So, you know, to keep trying to fit a square into a triangle, you know, is not, is not it. So I think, like I said, we, I really would love to see ideally, you know, a way to unthink or undo how schools are done 
So I think it, my school, my dream school would be more like a fundamental system change, if that makes sense. Yeah, that ma- I mean, that makes so much sense. I, you know, what I got from what you just said, and I'm sitting here thinking about, and I, I like to change things around. I think that education needs to change in, like you said, a fundamental systems change. I, education has to change in such a fundamental, huge way as to how we're educating our students. It's just how we get all of those parts to move and who's going to be able to be the one to crack it first. But something you said was just so clear to me when you talked about electives and skills, right? So we have electives at the high school level and you talked about these skill-based courses, um, these specials that, you know, you teach in computer science. And I, I instantly thought about the makeup of those classes and how they're multi-grade. And so in those classes, why is it we're saying in those classes, in computer science, in digital photography, in creative writing, we say that students of different ages can learn that material and learn those skills at different levels because that's where they are at that point in time. And that's, that's what we're teaching. But we're saying in math and science and think that they can't. They have to go by grade. It just, it flies in its own face. It doesn't make sense logically. But yet that's what we're married to. Well, because they have to go, I mean, but it's like, if you think about just, I mean, humanity, right? There's nothing standard about any of us. Like, and we celebrate that. We, you know, we talk about diversity, we talk about kids and they're like, okay, well, these standards, you know, and I think that's, it takes the fun out of education. I tell people all the time, people are like, you know, Hicks, you're such a great, you know, strong teacher. Why wouldn't you go into the, and I'm like, because I, I know I would love, I would lose my love for teaching. I don't want to be worried about a test at all. You know, if I come in and I decide I want to plan a unit on, you know, the kids did the thing they did, the they designed a presidential campaign for a Disney villain. You know, and we got in, you know, character traits and we got in, you know, they had to come up with a budget. And they had to come up, you know, with the graphic design. But the richness of that lesson, because I was just able to teach and the kids were able to, you know, and then as they, again, bring in that student voice, well, Miss Chicks, we want to make a video about it. And I said, okay, we know we're going to now, you know, that tied into a whole different, but I'm not tied down to this timeline either. You know what I'm saying? I'm not tied down to this. They have to be ready for this, you know, yes, you know, do project-based learning, but, you know, in, in May, you still have to be, have them ready for this test. Like I, to me, it takes all of the, the creativity, you know, and like I said, they're not, I think that the most glaring error is that that's not preparing them for anything. Let me, it's, not 10 years from now, not five years from now, like these companies and we're saying, oh, look at all this innovation and look at all these things, but we're going to keep teaching like we were in 1949. It blows my mind. It does. So, you know, I thought, so, I, I mean, I struggle with that every day, the way schools are are, are set up and I, I try to push against that. But another thing that came to mind while you were talking about this, it's such a larger conversation and kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier with diversity, equity, inclusion. So we're we're trying to highlight the value of diversity. We're trying to ensure equity and we're trying to ensure inclusion of a variety of types of people and cultures. And we're trying to do that without changing the standardized, stale framework of the public education system. No wonder we can't get it done. That existed when we didn't, you know, when, or I'm sorry, not when we didn't care, when inequity was a Thing by design, right? right and right. some of those, I mean, I'm with you 100% on that. I mean, literally, it's like, okay, well, how? But I think it's, it's again, going back to that, why it's important for that intention, the, um, the work to be intentional by leaders and what they're providing to their teachers is because they're seeing that disconnect too. Like, okay, well, you're telling, you, you have me sitting in a, you know, in a workshop about PBL, but then you're like, okay, but also make sure that you're teaching this curriculum right, day to day. Right, right. Right. You know, and then get a kid some Legos and they build, you know, the Eiffel Tower and all of a sudden that's project based learning, you know. But so I think teachers kind of get battle weary a little bit. So it's like something really could be a great thing. But if it's not given that sense of like, you know, number one, that you're showing that you're continuously doing the work, you know, it's not just the standalone PD and there's nothing, you know, to connect the dots. But yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, it, it, it's, and that's what I, I share your, your, you know, your curiosity on when it is going to change, because like you said, it's, it's you know, it's upon us. I mean, we are definitely, you know, deep into this information age now, like this is, we're here, right? And, you know, but what is it going to take to get the schools ready? It's funny you say, what's it going to take to get the schools ready? 
or the policies of that. Because see, I also I, I feel I feel your pain as an administrator because again, you know, in many cases, you guys are the middlemen, you know. And I think there's more, you know. And I think with teachers, it's important that we're not because it's very easy to get mad at the person at the top. Which I'm sure you will know. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I've never heard that. <laughs> you know, but I think also realizing that, you know, principals, I would assume, you know, many times feel the crunch more than us because you, you know, many, and I'm, you know, not saying everybody, but I'm, I'm, I would say a vast majority, you know, are still passionate educators and they still, you know, realize what's good for kids and, you, you know, they show up each day, but you're also like, okay, well, I can't just ignore my my boss and their boss, you know, but then I also have to kind of come stand in front of this room of people and go, hey, I know this really may not make the most sense, but... Right. And so you're kind of getting punched up and, you know, and down on some of those things. So yeah, it's just, I think, like I said, my question is, when is it going to stop being, I don't know, you know, so much bureaucracy around education? I think that's it. I think that's because you have a lot of... non-educators that are making the really, really big decisions about education and it's stifling everybody. You couldn't have said that more perfect. And I, I mean, just, just from that piece, I, I was sitting in a meeting the other day and these people are espousing these different policies that we're going to do. And I'm looking at them and they're, and they're bureaucrats. They've never been in a classroom. They've never, they've never led a school. They've never done anything like that. And it's really frustrating, but it, it also makes me think of this point that when you were talking you used a really good term, battle-weary, for teachers. But also, you know, I think about battle-weary versus comfortable because we're asking teachers, as leaders, we're asking teachers, and and there are plenty of teachers that are asking students to step out of that comfort, comfort zone, to take chances, to do the hard work that it takes to do this differently. And people are change-averse normally. But they will put that work in but boy, if they put that work in, there's got to be some reward at the end. But to put the work in and then just get pushed back down, why would you ever step out and take a chance? And now we're just back in that cycle of what we what we're looking at in public education today. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it happened. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because as, as you were, I'm thinking it was saying um, the last one of the last units I did with my my middle school girls, and that was, you know, this project based learning with the the app challenge. So, but. What was what stood out the most to me was how many times I had to have like a, you know, come to Jesus, call my come to Jesus moments where, you know, it's like I need you to not I need you to think differently. This is not going to be Coach Hicks hands you a worksheet and you fill in because I mean many of them were brilliant in that way, but to see I mean it was it was a labor of love some days because they could not imagine. You know, but how many times I had to literally define what creativity in problem solving looked like. And again, it reminds me where, you know, it can be stressful because, again, it, it is when you one of the hardest things to ask people to do is change how they think. Right. It's very easy to get into that routine. And it's like, OK, because think about it, as adults, like, OK, we iron at eight o'clock and one that one day you don't iron at night. You need to iron the next morning. The whole day is thrown off, you know, but. It was interesting to me because, again, these kids who had not had that type of experience before, how you really had to say, okay, no, this, but it's important because that's what you're going to need to do in real life. Like, there's no place else where someone's going to say to you, fill this out, fill this standardized test out, you know. And I think what's even more alarming is that look at how a lot of those jobs that required automation or that, again, you could kind of go in and keep that. It's all, it's all AI now, you know? So we, we look at place, I was noticing when I went to, I passed the McDonald's on my run the other morning and there were literally nine standalone registers. So it's like, even these kids who might, might may have been okay 10 years ago because there were jobs that you could kind of go in and it was a very transactional, you know, back and forth. And I could kind of, I mean, they're not, it's simply not going to be a thing anymore. So... I think it's, you know, we have to, we have to make, you know, and again, make these educational experiences. I mean, right now, maybe it's a small on the classroom level, but again, that conversation is going to pretty soon not be a choice because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We might as well get out ahead of it. Right, right. You know, I could talk to you for six more hours, Um, (laughs) but uh, we've really hit onto something here. 
But what I want to do is as as we get closer to the end of this this podcast, I want to ask you the two questions that I ask everybody that comes on that comes on okay. the show. The first one is if you weren't an educator, if you weren't in education, who not what would you be? Um, wow. I don't think I definitely be something. I think like well the best the most obvious answer would probably be uh, Beyonce's backup dancer if I would. But definitely <laughs> something, go. yes. Good for I, you. All things Beyonce, yes. So um, as my students can attest, I'm sure they are probably very tired of um, that playlist. But anyway, <laughs> definitely something, I think, hmm, probably something creative, definitely something people-oriented. I always told, I think like my, I think I have a complete aversion to anything that's, that does not allow some connection to creativity. I think, again, that's even my love for education is it because it allows me to, you know, be creative in my craft, but also to inspire others to be creative. So probably if I would say who I would, a creative might probably be the answer, um, how that would manifest itself um, outside of education. I don't know, probably something in the arts. I mean, I've, I've definitely coached, you know, dances in my background, step team kind of thing. So, um, but definitely something in the creative space. Cause I just think it brings, you know, it brings the best out of people, you know, and I think I would probably want it to, I'd probably be a teacher. I, as much as I say, <laughs> yeah. as much as you talk around it, you come right. back to being a teacher. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, I'd, I'd be a teacher. So it's just, I mean, it, it really is part of, you know, but I think that was even with coding the culture. Why? Because even in the midst of what was happening, you know, and, and seeing education kind of shift, um, I had it to protect my craft. You know what I'm saying? When I say my craft, what what made Victor get up and do it every day? And that was, you know, why I was intentional about not going back into the schools full-time as a full-time teacher. It was like, no, I need to be able to set these boundaries and to be able to go in and say, hey, I love teaching enough. I want to inspire this particular group of kids to be able to do great things, but I got to be able to do my thing. And I don't want to be, you know, bogged down with, you know, a lot of the extra stuff that comes in, you know, that really has no positive value, you know, but it was, I mean, it's, it was a scary leap, but it was, I knew for me, cause for the first time in just being completely transparent, I had never applied for anything outside of education, but, you know, as the, you know, the, the foolishness was coming, you know, further, further down, I was like, and I'm like, okay, wait, pause. I don't necessarily want to stop again, that creativity, that the actual art of teaching, but you know, it's, it's this stuff that's burning me out and, Right now, you know, if I'm even questioning, then it's time for a hard reset. So, yeah, well, I, I'll be I, a teacher. This is probably a different. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. That's you know, and what you said, I really liked what you said about creativity because a lot of times we get into the idea of creativity being something that comes from us through hard work, and we have to really think about it. But you look, you kind of flipped it on its head and said, "What creativity brings out of you." So by being creative, you grow because it brings something out of you rather than you trying to, you know, make something. But that's that's, that's exactly it. I mean, it, I, and again, it's it's the um, and that was one phrase I kept using over and over with my kids, you know, during this process is that it's it's I'm concerned about the process, not the product. I need you to understand, you know, for one kid, I mean, one student I could think of in particular, it was that no, you're not going to get a direct answer for every question. Because this kid was very transactional and had done very well academically with, you know, well, is am I doing this? Yes. Okay. Boom. I, and I'll do it exactly like you said, do it. It'll be perfect. It'll be correct. But to see her, and it was uncomfortable some days, you know, because I was like, you're going to have to sit there and figure it out. Yes. Your app is absolutely wrong. You know, but I, well, what is, and it can not part of the growth for her. And like I said, yes, did what I love for her to build the perfect app and, you know, make millions of dollars, but what I do know is that she w- is going to go a lot further now because she understands the purpose of making mistakes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you understand the perseverance. You understand these. I mean, we, and we put them on the SEO posters, but these kids have to learn these skills. They're not, because the world is not that, you know, this, again, we're, not, we're out of the industrial revolution. They're not putting, you know, on the, on the assembly lines anymore. We really got to start thinking about how to get our kids to think and how to get our kids, like you said, again, and that creativity, it requires so many, you know, soft skills. And I think that's the best way to describe it. Like in order to be creative, if you're really talking about real creativity, it's not, you know, but that's another thing. I think we, we pin that to art class. So they, oh, we have our teacher, check that creativity. We got it. They take dance class, creativity. 
But yes, that's a way to express it. But, you know, how do you solve problems? What are the different ways that you attack, you know, a task that you have to to get done? So, yeah, I think that the the growth from creativity is, I would probably argue to say, more valuable even than just making something, you know. So you said a lot. Through the whole, <laughs> through the, no, through the whole episode, and and you just kept going with that. It's all, it's all great stuff. Like I said, I could talk to you for six hours. So let me ask you this: What's the most important piece of advice you would give to teachers, leaders, anybody like that that will help them better support, engage, and empower those they lead? I would definitely say that the most simple advice is listen. Listen and be intentional or listen with intentionality, if that makes sense. Um, and, 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 you know, just like we say, you know, data driven instruction, that's your data. You know, and I, I would say that's the data when, you, when I'm talking about the that you're getting the feedback. And again, the and sometimes it is an observation because, again, with, as with you know, teachers with working with adults, very few people are going to say, yes, I have implied, you know, bias and I need somebody to tell me address that. But as a leader, you know, you have to kind of listen without someone speaking to be able to provide and guide and shape in that way. You know, but I think also we as leaders, you know, we want leaders and teachers also have to do the same. You know, you can't sit ignorant of the environment, the culture, the experiences of your students and then wonder why, you know, you're not really getting or making an impact. So I think, like I said, definitely listen. Because the thing is, kids will tell you, you know, and again, I think yeah, they will. as teachers, sometimes we're scared to be vulnerable and have those conversations because we think that they'll think that we don't know, you know. But I realized that once I got off of that high horse and I was like, hey, you know what? Help me help you, you know. <laughs> what is it that you guys want to do? You know, how do you guys see yourself learning from this? Because even, my thing is, even if you don't take, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, like, even if it's not a great idea, you know, going back to the process instead of the product, helping them shape those opinions. So say, okay, well, hey, you know, no, we can't do, you know, a gangster rap unit in algebra, but I love the creativity. Let's see how we can incorporate some of those things, you know, but when kids see that you're even, and again, now I'll be very honest. I know teachers are like, oh, that sounds, you know, too good to be true. Have there been things I had to tell my kids? Absolutely not. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But at the same time, because there are some times I've built that relationship with my kids. And I think as leaders, you know, again, not to speak to a job that I haven't done, but I know as a teacher, those principles who I know are like, hey, I'm, I'm going to help. Let me help you do what you're going to do. You know what I'm saying? Or what you need to do. And let me give, you know, Hicks what he needs and, you know, Brown what she needs and this person what they if I see that you're doing that work, it makes those times where we may not see eye to eye or where you may have to ask me to do something that maybe I don't see the necessary because I, I have a genuine trust because I know that you're listening and I know that you are being intentional. So you're not going to give me anything, although I might not like it, just like our kids may not like everything. I know that you're coming from a perspective where that maybe I just can't see the benefit, you know? So, yeah, I think that is as simple as that. Listen. And be intentional. So, Victor, how do people follow up with you if they want to stay in touch? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Let, let me tell you, we keep it very simple over here. Everything is coding with the culture. Twitter, uh, only thing with Twitter is it's the W instead of with, you know, you have the character limit. Um, Instagram, coding with culture. Website, codingwithculture.com. You know, we're a very organic business, meaning it's just me. So if you email Cody McCulture, <laughs> we are not putting up any airs over here. So you get, yeah. you get the man himself. That's awesome. I like yeah, that. I'm going to steal that. Very organic. Yeah, very organic. See, I, it makes it sound a lot better. Like, oh, it's just me, right? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I, I, do, I do like that. It's funny. I actually had um, one of my good buddies, um, Brian Smith, who does an po- education-based podcast, uh, as well was in town. So we had lunch and I said, you know, I think I always want to make sure that, you know, to be that accessible, you know, so again, I don't mind teachers reaching out, you know, if there's things that, you know, we can help do computer science wise. I mean, I definitely don't, you know, mind helping out there, but also I think again, just sometimes those conversations, you know, it doesn't have to be anything formal, but again, I think, you know, I, I remember the community. One of the things I love about now that we are socially media, you know, connected 
is that we are able to help build those professional learning networks. And I know those, you know, as cliche as people say, I said, I've really gotten some good advice and had some good conversations and meaningful dialogue, you know, through those methods. So yeah, they can feel free, reach out, let me know what you need. Well, hey, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I, I learned, I mean, my, my head is spinning right now. I was taking notes like crazy. I, I had so many different thoughts and learned so much talking to you. So really, thank you so very much for coming on today. No worries, Chris. Listen, just let me, I, I'll come back. I'm not busy. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you up on that. Okay. Yes, yeah, seriously, <laughs> let's, let's chat. All right. All right, take care. Bye. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.